Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Hi, Phil here. Just before we hear from today's guest, I wanted to let you know that I have an update for you about some significant changes to the show. I'll be telling you about these at the end of today's episode, so please keep listening through to the end. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which is coming up right now. Welcome to episode 78 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Andy Hunt. Andy is a programmer turned consultant, author, and publisher. He's authored a dozen books, including the best-selling The Pragmatic Programmer, was one of the 17 authors of the Agile Manifesto and founders of the Agile Alliance, and co-founded The Pragmatic Bookshelf, publishing award-winning and critically acclaimed books for software developers. So Andy, can I ask you to expand on that brief introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, Absolutely. So as it says there, I started off as a programmer back in the days when, uh, before there was an at sign for email address, uh, you had bang paths to IHNP4, and that's how email worked. So this was about the time when dinosaurs grazed at the windows, uh, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, I got started, uh, I had a, a real interest in uh, electronics, radio electronics at the time, built Heath kits as a kid, very interested in the early computers with the S100 bus and CPM and, and that era of things. And uh, really loved how programming lets you sort of go in and kind of create your own world. That's still kind of the most interesting aspect of it is, is sort of the, the world building. Now, it was easier back then when, you know, writing software was you could sit down, write a couple files, and it was much more self-contained than it is these days. Now, you know, <laughs> I laugh almost every book that we get that's anywhere in the JavaScript space starts with about eight pages of, you know, NPM nonsense of all this stuff you've got to download. And, you know, it's about half the internet each time. So that's kind of a very, very different world than it used to be. Can you maybe share a unique career tip with the IT career energizer audience? One they probably should know and maybe don't. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll double your money. I'll actually give you two tips that are sort of related. So back in about 2008 or so, I wrote a book called Pragmatic Thinking and Learning. The thesis is that really the two things that you do as a programmer more than anything else are learning and communication. That's what it's all about. We communicate to the machine. We communicate to each other, to end users, to gather requirements, to learn requirements. And it's all learning. You know, besides the tech stacks and, and, you know, the latest language du jour, the latest framework, that sort of thing, you're learning how the evolving system behaves. You're learning how your team behaves. You're learning what the end users, how they work, what they expect, what the market demands. So we're all about learning and communication. Those are the important things. So the first tip is never stop learning. When you come across something unfamiliar, uh, a term you don't know, a framework you've never heard of, a new language, look it up. Google's right there. It's on your phone. It's right on your, your screen. Take the five seconds when something you're unfamiliar with comes up and see what it is. Look into it. 
look more into it if it's something interesting or something that you might have to uh, have to work with. So always take that extra step and pursue, you know, sort of the unfamiliar. That's part one. Part two, and this is probably the the biggest. This makes the biggest difference, I think, for people who are successful uh, and people who aren't, is to always write down your ideas. Carry something with you always where you can jot down a quick note. It doesn't even have to be electronic. In fact, it might even be better if it's not. Carry a, a golf pencil and a folded up sheet of paper. You know, use a, an app on your phone. Send yourself a voicemail. Whatever it is th- that you have with you all the time. Because what I discovered in the research for that book, and, and it explains in, in some detail, is that most of the interesting creative processes in the brain are asynchronous. So, you know, it's like if I asked you a, a rock trivia question, you might not know it right away, but then two or three days later, you'd be in the shower or mowing the lawn or something. And, oh, of course, yeah. it was, you know, such and such, right? That happens to us all the time. And that's because of just, just the, the nature of the wiring in the brain. So you get these interesting ideas or, you know, the seeds of really great ideas kind of randomly, yep. uh, but especially when you're not at the computer and not at work. So you need something with you to jot them down because the, the danger is, of course, especially you're commuting, you're on the train, you're, you're making breakfast, whatever. It's like, oh, I had this great idea. I'll remember that for later. No, you won't. <laughs> I won't. You won't. It's not going to happen. So that's the kind of the biggest thing to sort of realize is that, no, you're not going to remember it later. Jot it down. And then when you have a chance later, when you're at, at the computer, when you're working, whatever, uh, follow up on it. You know, make a note somewhere else more permanently, do some research on it, do whatever you need to do with it. Um, but that idea of capturing those very brief incandescent moments that, that flicker uh, across your consciousness, that's really key to capturing the great ideas that you have, but that most people just lose. Yeah. I've spoken to a few people who do all sorts of things in terms of keeping notes. Personally, I use notes on my phone, but I hear of people who have pads by the side of the bed when they wake up in the middle of the night with a great idea, they scribble it down. So yes, I totally agree. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, for, for a while there, uh, I've gotten out of the habit and I really should get back into it. I actually had a, a, a pen by the side of the bed that had a built-in light. Oh, yes. It was like a mechanical pencil. When you pressed it down, a little like ring light around the lead would, would light up so you could see to write your note without turning the lights on or t- using a flashlight or anything. Can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Um, yes, <laughs> there were a couple, you know, everyone, everyone has their ups yep. and downs. Um, there were two that kind of really stuck with me, um, very early in my career. It was only my maybe second or third job out of college, somewhere in there. The position that I'd been hired for in between the time I got hired and I started the job, the person I'd interviewed with had been fired and the position was eliminated. So they put me in sort of a, to them, close you know, sort of position in another group. Do you remember the old movie, Joe versus the volcano? Oh yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks. In the very beginning of that movie, they had what, what I thought was the absolute perfect picture of this, this particular corporation, right? The horrible fluorescent lights, the buzzing, the green, you know, it was just, it was, you know, like a hell mouth. It was just an awful, awful place. And about a year after I'd started, they went out of business. Uh, basically, they shut down the entire division and laid off. Oh, I don't know, a couple thousand people, maybe. Right. 
that made an impact on me. That was that was the last time I worked as a as a captive employee for a large company. Uh, I worked for a couple smaller companies after that, and then went out on my own. But that really, to to me, made an impact. That you know, the myth of working for a big company and having stability is just a myth. You, you're not stable with a big company. You're not necessarily stable with a small startup either. So, you know, in terms of career preparation, you really can't count on, you know, the organization being there for you for any number of reasons. And again, I was young and dumb. So this was, you know, this kind of made a, a, an impact on me. And then later on, as I was uh, in my consultant uh, phase of my career, uh, one project that I rather enjoyed and I had a, a good time at it was very clear from their their practices and what they were doing on the project that they were going to fail. This was the one I think I think I've written about this places where they had a lead architect, which is the first code smell, process smell, danger sign, right? <laughs> they had a lead architect who did not code. They had a lead architect who used uh, rational rows at oh, the yeah. time to make UML diagrams. And they had literally, I am not exaggerating, this was a good-sized conference room, you know, that you could probably fit 25, 30 people at the table easily. It was a good-sized room. They had papered every single wall, floor to ceiling, with UML diagrams scotch taped together. <laughs> right. All four walls. And the door. And the door. Even the door was not saved. And... You know, consulting were pointing out sort of the the errors of their process, the errors of their way that they were you know stuck in analysis paralysis, and they, they had not delivered a line of code at this point. And the project had been going on for two years, maybe. Wow. I got to do a couple like prototypes and some you know kind of stuff on the side that that I enjoyed, but it was clear that the project as a whole this it wasn't going to make it. So I made my report, talked to the boss, said, "Okay, here's the problem. This is what you need to fix." They said, "Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Gave me my money. Didn't change a thing." And they lost fourteen million dollars. Ouch! Yes. Boom. Just like that, because they shut they shut the whole thing down and literally never delivered. A line of code, wow. which is 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 just stunning. And unfortunately, you know that's not a unique story. I mean, that was one I happened to to live through. But that was a lot of what um, kind of inspired me to get on the the uh, early train of lightweight methods, which we then you know the bunch of us got together and coined the term agile for agile methods for exactly that kind of pathological organization where. They think they're doing the right thing. They've got bright people. They're using all the right tools. And yet nothing comes out the door. Yeah. That was really what sort of got me interested in the Agile movement. It kind of makes me sad, to, you know, today to see that Agile has really lost its meaning. You know, you get people who say, oh, we do half of Scrum poorly and we use Jira. But look, we're Agile. And no, no. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, I see, you know, course after course and, and all these these uh, books and whatnot that say, here's how to be agile. None of them reference the Agile Manifesto. None of them actually talk about the mindset of agility and the, and the principles of it. And in fact, the, the very first principle in the Agile Manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And yet every project starts up, their first question is, what process are we going to use and what tools are we going to use? Yes. <laughs> right? Yep. So that's a problem. And then if you look at the Agile methods themselves, they haven't changed in 10, 20 years. 
or change very lightly. And, you know, the world that we're creating software for now is not the same as it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? We don't have AOL carpet bombing us with uh, compact disks, right? You're not making a shrink release gold master kind of deployment. That's, that's not the world we live in. We have iPhone apps that update 47 times a week. You know, it's, it's a, very different, um, a very different model. It is. So moving on from your worst IT career, can you maybe tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? One of my favorite projects, which, which was highly successful, I've written about this and, and talked about this before, so it's not like a, it's not a state secret or anything. Um, it was uh, to replace a, a debit card transaction system. Uh, and in fact, that's the project where I met my uh, partner, Dave Thomas. He and I wrote the Pragmatic Programmer together uh, and founded the Pragmatic Bookshelf. And that was the project we we first met on. And it was one of these, you know, insane projects where it was just the two of us. So, you know, very small team, highly talented, cough, cough, as I pat myself on the back. Um, you know, two, two bright guys locked up trying to get this done and fixed deadline, a hard deadline, non-negotiable. They were basically... Uh, there was a maintenance agreement and the computers that the old system were, were running on were being pulled out of service on given date. So there was no second chance. There was no slip the date. There was no, this is the date. The people are coming in with a forklift and hauling out the old one. And this has to be operational by then. And by then was something like three to six months from when we started. I mean, it was not a long time window and we had to, to replicate what this system did. So the key that made it actually work was that we had access to an on-site customer, if you will. The woman who ran the project knew the existing system inside and out. She could point to the specs and say, well, that's what they say. But in fact, what really happens is you get this packet and then this happens and this other thing and this causes a problem. So, you know, we had you know, very direct access right across the hall from us from a subject matter expert who knew the system inside and out. Yeah. So we're sitting there coding away, have a question, you know, this is vague, this doesn't make sense. Walk right over, she would drop what she was doing, answer the question, we get it fixed, and we got the project done. Not only did we get it done, as that company merged with other companies, as happens in finance, our homegrown system went up against, I don't know, four, five, or six other offerings that you know some of the other companies had as they as they acquired them and ours won it's like nope theirs is better and so ours became the preeminent solution for you know the the ultimate merged company out of you know all these others which was actually kind of nice to hear it's like okay it didn't it didn't just solve the immediate immediate problem it did what it was supposed to do and did it better than these other solutions that cost tons more money had been written by large teams you know whatever yep I consider that really sort of the gold standard of that's what a project should be. And again, the key was very small team with the skills you need with an on-site customer who has the answer. Yeah. Um, and a little bit, and a little bit of, of actual time pressure, you know, that, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. I think having that knowledge expert on hand is, is invaluable. Absolutely is. So Andy, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular? Well, there's a lot to it. I think that, you know, taking the, the highest level view, the fact that computing has become pervasive, you know, it used to be, 
when we first started out, you'd be at a, a cocktail party or you'd, you'd be talking to your parents or something. It's like, oh, what do you do? Oh, he's in computers. Right. And that was sufficient. Yep. And their eyes would glaze over and it's like, oh, nerd, <laughs> fine. And, you know, you can't get away with that anymore. It's, it's you know, oh, I'm a cybersecurity expert and, you know, you know I do, you know, AI genetic algorithms or, you know, it's much more um, part of the, the, uh, the national conversation and, and part of the world. It's completely pervasive. I mean, when you see, uh, you know, I've got, you know, some young nieces and nephews, you know, toddler age navigating an iPad, buying apps and know to only buy the games that have five stars because mom said, uh, you know, this it's oh, my God. It's, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. Yep. And the idea that being able to learn at an early age how computers work and how to create and adapt software yourself, that's critical. Because if you don't take that next step and learn how to manipulate this world, you'll be powerless in the future. It's like, you know, any other uh, uh, technological advancement, you know, if, if you know, when if you if you were a really great uh, uh, rider, horse rider, and then cars came along, well, you had to learn how to drive a car or you were kind of left out. I don't know if that's actually true, but it makes a good story. So we'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, that's the kind of thing. I mean, you, you have to know how this stuff works. And, you know, the fact that you can download uh, something like Linux for free and all the programming languages and play with that on something like a Raspberry Pi or Pi Zero, you know, you can get into this incredibly cheaply. I mean, when I started off, if you wanted to work on, on Unix, you had to fork over, what, tens of thousands of dollars for a license. Uh, early in my career, you know, Dr. Dobbs Journal, Byte Magazine, you know, all the publications at the time had the uh, their ads were for languages, for compilers. That C compiler, $495. Yep. yep. You know, Turbo Pascal, when it came out, was brilliant. It was 79 bucks, and it included an IDE and a multi-pass compiler. It's like, oh, my God, that is, that's genius. You know, at, at the time, that was a real breakthrough. And... Now it's like, well, you can get the hardware and any language you've ever heard of uh, and just download it. So I think that's that's pretty exciting and pretty remarkable. And I think we've barely scratched the surface um, of where we can go with that. We're going to go into the reveal round now. I'll ask you a few questions and find out a bit more about you, you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Shoot. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I actually remember exactly what it was, which, which is is strange, but it's just one of those things. I was at like a Radio Shack looking for something else at the time, you know, probably like a cassette player or, you know, whatever. And uh, there was a book there. It was some sort of a primer on um, microcontrollers, microcomputers. So this was mid-70s, and they were waxing poetic about advances in large-scale integration, being able to make LSI uh, integrated circuit chips and how that was going to proverbially shrink the, you know, room-sized computer down to something only the size of a refrigerator or so. Yep. And, you know, what, a, what an amazing difference this was going to make in the world. And it had, it had little stuff on, you know, like an intro to um, a Boolean logic and, and binary numbers and, you know, sort of that level of kind of, you know, real basics of how this kind of stuff worked. And I, I was fascinated. I thought, you know, this was, this was as cool as any science fiction that I'd read, except, you know, this was real. And the author certainly seemed convinced this was something that was going to happen. So, all right, that sounded interesting. And that, that kind of wet my appetite. And then you know, I, I went from there. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Don't focus solely on the technology. 
Yeah. The tech comes and goes. The tech comes and goes. The companies behind the tech come and go. I had arguments with people for years that, oh, Sun Microsystems was a bastion of, of the computing world, and they, they would never go away. And Who? <laughs> right? They're gone. You know, the giants of, of, of the old days, DEC, Sun, you know, all these all these companies, Silicon Graphics, bless their heart. Um, all these, you know, once massive companies, they're gone. Yeah. They're not around anymore. Uh, the languages that, you know, uh, people favored, you know, ah, they're not so popular anymore. And the hot new ones are up. The stuff you learn in college, you know, you probably will not use, you know, more than the first couple years out in the world just because things change. So the tech comes and goes. That's fine. You need to know the basics. Um, you need to understand how it all works uh, at the lowest level. And then, oh, okay, this is kind of a lispy implementation. This is kind of a, a message passing thing. This is whatever. You know, it becomes much easier to navigate the, uh, uh, the new things that come along. But that's all the easy part. The hard part is, although the tech keeps improving, people are still people. And we are deeply flawed creatures. We are not like these brilliant computers that we work with. We have got major cognitive processing issues. Um, if you look at if you look at the uh, cognitive biases page on uh, Wikipedia, it lists ninety common bugs in the software, bugs in our thinking that people experience. And you read through this, and it's like, oh. Okay. Yep. I've done that. And oh, look, here's six. Hey, those six, that's Fox News right there. All six in a row um, <laughs> yep. or whatever. You know, it's it's astonishing that you know, when you start looking at the research and start looking into this, it's like it is really an astonishing wonder that we have built any kind of functional civilization at all. You know, we're doing pretty good for a bunch of apes uh, <laughs> is, is, is the bottom line. Yeah. Um, so that's great. But you need to know how to work with that. You need to know how, how to navigate that. You need to realize, you know, when your boss is being uh, overly emotional or overwrought or not being logical because we're not logical creatures. We don't make purchases based on logic. We don't vote based on logic. We don't choose a mate based on logic, you know, but we think we do. And that's that's kind of the big danger. We think, oh, you know, well, I'm I'm very you know educated and rational, and and yeah, no, <laughs> you're not. I'm not. No, you're not. We're not. Get over it. We're just we're just not. So the more that you can uh, come to understand how people actually function and work, and especially in, in group and organizational settings, you know, the so-called soft skills or, or people skills, they you know, soft implies that it's easy. It's not. Um, those skills are very hard. You know, people are much harder to program and deal with than computers, but this is the world we're in. This is what you've got to learn to do. If you focus solely on the tech, uh, you're going to get steamrolled. If you were to begin your IT career right now, what would you be doing? AI. Uh-huh. AI, genetic algorithms, machine learning, that whole that whole world. Um, it's interesting to watch um, – my son's in college uh, at the moment uh, in, in computer science, and he started very young. He was in sixth, seventh grade when for a, a casual physics assignment, they had to write a bit of um, AI that would learn how to walk using a physics simulation. So he was, he was in sixth grade, and they had this physics assignment to have this thing that would learn how to walk. 
within this physics engine. It was like a pair of, of stick legs, kind of a, a simulation. And it turned out the way he did it, there was a bug in the physics library and his neural net learned how to fly. Wow. Which I know, right? And so Skynet, right? This is how it happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, on the one hand, I mean, it's very cool to be exposed to that. You know, this is what he was learning in, you know, middle school, early high school uh, sort of things. And then there's also a bit of a cautionary tale there because that is how this technology works. It will exploit anything it can to meet the goal whether that's something you intended or not. You know, there's stories about, uh, you know, systems on chips exploiting quantum effects on that particular uh, chip die, on that CPU, and then whatever was trained on that, you put it on another machine and it doesn't work. You know, it, it, it can be that specific. So it's fascinating stuff. You know, again, we've barely scratched the surface, I think, of what's possible and where we can go with that. So overall, very exciting. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? <laughs> Retirement. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or more, more broadly, going out with a bang. It takes a while to, you know, invent something brand new and, and you know, turn the world on its ear. So I've got, I've got a good, you know, 10, 15 years to go to uh, come up with something really interesting. And so, so that's what I'm working on. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? All non-technical skills, I think, are, are, are critical. But, you know, the sort of basics of, of continuous learning, you know, read voraciously, read everything you get your hands on, and read good quality stuff. Read actual books that have been edited um, or videos that have been, you know, edited and well-produced, not just Twitter or some random blogs. Um, write to remember, you know, take notes, summarize, you know, write it in your own words. The, the act of writing stuff down like that uh, really helps wire it in, you know, cement it uh, in your memory. Give user group talks if that's something, uh, if you have the, uh, the, the stamina for it. You know, not everyone does, and that's, that's okay. Write a blog if you don't like talking in front of people. Talk to folks at work, you know, do do the uh, the brown bag lunches at work where, hey, I just, you know, read up on this new language, you know, Elixir. It's got this great uh, Phoenix framework for web. God, this would make stuff so much easier. Here's what I found out. What do you guys think? You know, be an advocate for, you know, the stuff that you, you've discovered that you're passionate about and that's interesting and help move the ball forward. So, Andy, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? I think the number one piece of advice is, to, is along these same lines is to realize you're never done. You've never made it. Um, if you've, you've learned some great framework, some great language, don't stop there. You, know, you don't want to be that person where I've got this hammer and now everything looks like a nail. The technology, the methodology that you used on the last project that was so successful might not work at all in the next project. That could be a completely different context. You might need completely different tools. So the number one thing is to be prepared for that and to be ready to learn something completely different all the time. You know, you've always done, you know, a sprint kind of thing. Well, a, a, a scrum kind of thing. Maybe you need to look at lean techniques. You've always done that. Maybe you need to look at something else. You know, that might not work here. This language that you love might not work here. You've always used C++. You might need to use Rust in this occasion. Um, you've always used, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but you've got to be prepared for that. You know, it, it is kind of chaotic, um, but it is constant change. And you have to remember that 
whatever you think of the pace of change at the moment, this is the slowest that the pace of change will ever be because it's monotonically increasing. So as bad as it is now, this is slower. It's going to be slightly faster tomorrow and slightly faster the day after that and on and on and on and on. So if you want to keep up, you've got to, you have to keep going. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? You know, if you Google Andy Hunt, I'm like the top 12 hits. So that that's kind of helpful right there. Um, but <laughs> let me give you some specifics. Um, my homepage is at toolshed.com. And that's where you can find my blog and articles, links to my books, that sort of thing. Uh, the publishing empire is at pragprog.com for pragmatic programmers. My uh, science fiction novels, I'm uh, just releasing my second one now. That's at conglomora.com. That's C-O-N-G-L-O-M-M-O-R-A.com. Also available on Amazon and, and bookstores everywhere. The um, software methodologies I've been experimenting with is uh, coming up on growsmethod.com. And the idea behind that is, you know, again, focusing on taking learning into your own hands, not relying on, you know, corporate uh, L&D departments for, for, you know, the kind of mostly bogus training that goes on, but really taking learning into your own hands, figuring out how to grow your skills, grow the team and grow the software that you're developing and how to make all that work effectively. Andy at any of those domains uh, will get to me and I'm at Pragmatic Andy on Twitter. Brilliant. Thank you. Andy, thank you so much for joining me on the IT Career Energizer podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, thanks for having me. Hi, Phil here again. As mentioned at the start of today's episode, I've got an update for you about the future of the show. But before that, a quick thank you to Andy Hunt for sharing his advice and experience in today's episode. As usual, you can find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e78. My guest on next week's show is Spencer Schneidenbach, a Microsoft Most Valuable Professional who specializes in ASP.NET, C-Sharp, and JavaScript. So a great episode coming up. So now, as promised, an update on the future of the IT Career Energizer podcast. Today marks the start of a 28-day countdown to a first set of changes to the podcast. Not all of the changes are finalised as yet, but one significant change will be to the number of episodes released each week. Rather than just one episode per week, the show will be moving to a three episodes per week schedule, so that you get to hear about the experiences and career tips from even more great guests. So in four weeks from now, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday we'll see the release of a new IT Career Energizer podcast episode. This is something I've been wanting to do for some time, and this is the starting point for a number of other changes that are planned over the coming months. And I'll be letting you know more about one or more of those planned other changes in each of the next three episodes as the countdown from day 28 to day zero continues. I'm really excited about where the IT Career Energizer podcast is headed, and I hope that you'll be joining me on this journey. As I've said before, it takes time and effort to put the podcast together, to attract great guests, and to keep it going, which means audience growth is essential. I'm extremely grateful to everyone who has helped and continues to help me develop the show. 
I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your support for the IT Career Energizer podcast. So until next Monday, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.